excited to continue on in our series on Philippians. Uh, tonight, we'll finish chapter two. So if you had your Bibles or if you want to open it up on your phone, you can go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter two. We'll be reading verses 12 through 30, and we'll read that here in, in just a moment. Um, so some of you may know this, last Sunday was my very first Father's Day, and I can't hear the applause and cheers on the other end of the screen, um, but it made me feel old, and like the old guy that I am now, I, I did a lot of reflection last, last weekend on my first year being a father, um, mostly about the, the lack of sleep, but also on all the amazing memories and moments that we've had so far with Zoe. And Zoe, even though she's still little, she's getting into this phase where she's starting to, to copy me and replicate the things that I'm doing. And, and nothing major yet, uh, but when I make a, a coughing sound or another funny sound, she's, she's starting to try her best to kind of replicate that sound. And it's, it's really cute. Um, but as she started to do this, it's, it's been a reminder and a realization for me that she's looking at me, her dad, to kind of show her the way, uh, to set an example. And to be honest, that's a little bit frightening for me at this point in life. I, I now have this place and this responsibility in this little one's life as being the one that they look to for answers and, and begin to kind of model their life after. It's a, it's a big responsibility. And in that, I also have the opportunity to, to let her down. And I know that I'm going to at times, uh, but with the Lord's grace, I hope to lead her the, the best that I can. And, and what I'm getting at is that the stakes are, are really high in being a father, parent, uh, there's there's a high bar requiring me to live out my life uh, a certain way, and the same is true in following Jesus and living out the gospel. Uh, other people are looking at our lives, the stories that, that our lives are putting on display, as our lives as Christians have really been designed to find themselves in the story of Jesus. So as we continue on in, in Philippians chapter 2 tonight, um, we're given a few different models, actually, a few specific people, uh, beginning with Jesus himself. Uh, we'll then read about some, some folks who failed to live this out well. Um, but more importantly, the blueprint laid out in the life of Christ that was carried on by, by other people. So our focus this evening is that the stories that our lives are sharing are to find themselves in the story of Jesus. So let's turn to the text, um, verses 12 through 30. There's, there's a lot of verses here, but we'll go pretty quick. Uh, beginning in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 
but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Let's pray. God, we are grateful to be gathered together today, some of us, and for those of us who can't be, Lord, we are grateful for technology, uh, and above all, Lord, we are grateful for your word and your gospel, which brings life. I pray, God, that it would speak to us tonight, that you would bring joy to our hearts, and you would send us into a new week uh, full of fresh of your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Cool. Um, so, a little bit of context, kind of around what we just read. If you've kind of missed out on a couple of these sermons, um, what's going on in Philippi right now? Christians in Philippi, they were facing resistance as they were pronouncing Jesus as their king. Um, but they were hanging in there. They were remaining faithful. They were suffering for being associated with Jesus. And this was because this was a Roman colony. It was filled with retired Roman soldiers who were known for their patriotic nationalism. And in this, Paul was, was suffering too. He was in a Roman prison. And in, in the Roman prison system, you weren't supported by the state. Your friends and your family had to make sure that you had food to eat. So we read about this guy, Epaphroditus. Uh, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus with a gift of support. And then Paul, in turn, wrote this, this thank you letter, a, a letter of friendship back to them. And it's important to understand tonight, this, this letter is arranged in sort of these short reflective essays around what we call the Messiah poem, which is what Pastor Kelsey preached about last week. And I'd recommend catching up on the podcast if you missed her sermon. It was fantastic. It's really foundational for all of Philippians. Um, but quick recap, this Messiah poem at the beginning of chapter two is a condensed version of the gospel story that before becoming human, Jesus pre-existed in a state of glory and equality with God. But unlike Adam, the first man who tried to seize equality with God, Jesus didn't exploit his status for his own advantage. Rather, he emptied himself of status, becoming a human and a servant to all. And he was humiliated in being obedient to the Father, going to death on a Roman cross. But then, through the Father's power and grace, this shameful death was reversed through the resurrection. And now God has highly exalted Jesus as the king of all with a name above all names. It's important that we start there because Jesus was humble. Andrew Sullivan of the, the New York Mag wrote a couple weeks ago, of all the lessons that plagues teach us, surely the most valuable one is that of humility. And Philippians 2 begins with the greatest story of humility in which we as believers find ourselves and find our story. So all that background, now to start in verse 12, it begins with this word, therefore. And don't worry, we're not going to go through every single word, word by word, but therefore is an important transition into our passage tonight. It's important because everything Paul is about to say is on the basis of what he just said in that poem. It doesn't stand alone. 
So our focus tonight and what Paul begins to tell his friends in Philippi is that Jesus is the one we are following. And he begins to ask them, how does your life fit into his story and reflect this beautiful poem? And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves tonight, too. How does my story, Tyler, how does your story, our story, fit into the story of Jesus? That's a question for you tonight. Paul goes on to say, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Paul moves into kind of this, this term of endearment. He, he loves the people in Philippi. They were near and dear to his heart. Uh, and this is a letter rooted in that friendship. And he compliments them on their obedience while he had been away. They, they haven't gone astray. Nothing's crazy has happened while he's been in prison. And I see some parents out there tonight. Um, imagine leaving your, your perfectly well-behaved children at home alone. For an entire weekend, and then you come home to find things in in better shape than when you left, like the laundry's done, nothing's on fire, all the chores are done without you even being there. This is what Paul thinks about these Philippian people. He thought really highly of them. He trusted them. He, He admired their faith. And then, as we get to the end of verse 13, it, it becomes a little bit of a difficult passage. It's actually hung up a lot of people um, over time, actually. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what does Paul mean here when he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Work, fear, trembling, they aren't exactly words that, that really get me motivated. They, they, they're words um, that we don't typically relate to the gospel. That they're not words that we you know, think to be associated with grace. And as Christians, we believe the good news of Jesus is that he gave up his life in self-sacrificial love as a gift to redeem us and to set our eternities right before God. It's, it's, not, it's not something that we can work for or earn. But still, the focus of this passage is obedience, meaning that Paul is referring to the way these Philippians are living out their lives. A little more on this uh, from commentator Gordon Fee. He says, this is not a soteriological text per se, dealing with people getting saved or saved people persevering. Rather, it's an ethical text dealing with how saved people live out their salvation. So, What Paul's getting at is that this is a working out of our salvation, not not of earning it, but a working out in life because God is working in us. It's action because of grace. It's because Jesus was generous to me. How can I live my life now more generously? It's because Jesus was obedient to the end. How can I move forward obediently as well? It's action because of grace. And fear and trembling, that's another tough one. All this is saying is that God is an awesome God. The gospel is an awesome message. And we're to live into this with awe and wonder. And the cool thing is we read here that that God continues to work this out in us and with us. The message version says we have God's energy in us as we are living this out, uh, which is a really cool thing. So all of that said, Paul's saying, I love you guys. You Philippians are great. 
I'm proud of your obedience to Jesus. Continue to work out this amazing truth with one another because we serve an amazing God. The way you live your life is rooted in the story of Jesus, and you living this way reflects this great story to those around you. Um, some of you know this about me. I, I played lacrosse in college. I, I used to be someone before I turned into an old dad. And our lacrosse team, uh, we were notorious for a couple of things on campus. We were, we were successful. We were known as a winning team and a hardworking team. Um, but the team, not me, we were known to have gotten into a little bit of trouble along the way as well. And I'll never forget my coach's last words to our entire team when practice ended every single Friday evening. He'd always say, like a, like a concerned father, remember, everyone, you're part of something bigger than yourselves this weekend. And this was a reminder to 40 or 50 college-age athletes to behave ourselves, to not be dummies over the weekend, because we represent the school and the logo and the success of our season and, and the good of the team. And I think similarly, this is what Paul is starting to communicate to his friends in Philippi. He's saying, keep up the good work. Take seriously the gospel and how it transforms your life because you're part of something huge, bigger than yourselves. You're a reflection of this gospel message and this amazing God. Let's keep going. Um, verses 14 through 18 now. I'll read them briefly. Um, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. At first glance, just kind of looking at those you know, four or five verses there, it sounds like Paul is, is just saying, hey, don't be a grump like all the other grumps out there. Um, but there's so much happening beneath the surface. There's actually a lot going on here. And very briefly, we need to pull these verses apart because Paul's actually working with pre-existing material here. He's pulling from the Old Testament scripture, using this as sort of a set of building blocks to further explain his teaching. And this is known as intertextuality. It's a big word if you're a nerd like me. Um, but really, Paul's just quoting three direct passages from Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Daniel here. So I want to recap these uh, very quickly, uh, beginning with Exodus 16. Exodus is, is all about the people of Israel. And in chapter 16, they were just freed from slavery by God. They found themselves now in the desert grumbling, like you do when you're stuck in the desert. Uh, these people were, were starving, and, and God said he would rain down food for them every single day. But it just goes on and on about their grumbling before God as they're continually unsatisfied, even though God was giving them their daily food. And the point is, these people were marked by grumbling before a loving God who was providing for them. These were the people called to spread God's blessing to the world, and, and they were grumbling curmudgeons with God. 
Then in Deuteronomy 32, uh, this continues on about Israel uh, years later. Um, after Israel missed out on, on an entrance into the promised land, Moses was speaking to the next generation, the sons and the daughters of the grumblers about to enter the promised land. And Moses wanted to remind them of what Israel had previously missed out on. It was Israel's failure in sin before God and failure to be a blessing to the rest of the world time and time again. Israel, they, they never lived up to their calling is what Moses was reminding them of. And then thirdly, Daniel 12, we're getting somewhere here. This was probably a thousand years later. Um, Israel is now in exile in Babylon, and, and Daniel was looking towards the future now, a better time when God would return. He said, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who, who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, Israel was marked by grumbling. They failed. They let the Lord down, but their story still wasn't over. God is graceful. There was a day still ahead of them in which God would return to make the world new. This would be a day of resurrection as the people of God would receive everlasting life. And it's this day when the people of God will shine like stars and lead many to everlasting life. So quick summary for you there. Uh, to reassemble this now in Philippians, Paul's just saying, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Those were the words to describe Israel. Live your lives blameless and pure, unlike the generation that missed out on God's promises. Remember, you're the children of God, even though you're surrounded by many who are not. And if you do this, you will shine. You will shine among everyone else. So there's a lot to those few verses. They're, they're quite layered. And it's all because Paul is saying, you are the people of God, which means the stakes are high because you're representing the most important story in all of human history. So come together in unity and quit the grumbling. <laughs> this is, uh, I think, easier said than done sometimes. Remember, though, where is Paul right now as he's writing this? And, and what were the hardships of the Philippians? Paul himself, as he's writing this, he was in prison. And the Philippians, they were facing hardship in a town filled where, where Caesar was king because they were saying Jesus is king. But in this suffering, Paul is redirecting his friend's focus here. He goes on to say about himself, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And then later in verse 21, he's talking about someone else. He starts to talk about Timothy. About Timothy, Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 25, Paul talks about another man, Epaphroditus. He says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. So we have this ongoing thread and this flow throughout Philippians 2. We, we begin with Jesus as the model, the blueprint. We then begin to read about Paul, who's modeling his own life of sacrifice and humility too. And then we read about two additional people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are exemplary Jesus followers in which we are to replicate. 
Remember, Paul's in prison, but he finds joy in his suffering as he sees the Philippians standing for the gospel. And then like Jesus, Timothy looks not at his own interests, but to the interests of the other people. And Epaphroditus, in caring for Paul and in serving Jesus, he nearly loses his very life. Paul's saying, even though our obedience is not making our lives easier right now, this future boasting in Christ, this reward, will be worth it. And we can do this together. We're not suffering alone. So let's stay the course. And I think for us, as as we think about this, as we put ourselves in the shoes of Paul and the Philippians and these other people we're reading reading about, um, probably on a lot of our minds right now is that things just aren't that easy in the world right now. Um, some of you may have seen this. There was a New York Times article this week titled, America is Facing Five Epic Crises All at Once. Not four, not three, five. Uh, this is an easy time for all of us to be grumbling. Some of us, uh, some people you're close to are feeling the effects of this global pandemic in so many different ways. Others in our country have experienced injustice for the color of their skin. We've seen systemic racism right in front of us. We, we live in a time right now where so many people are suffering, a time where it is quite easy to find a reason to grumble. And with all of that, and out of all the verses that we've read through tonight, I think 18 to be exact, um, there's one that I want to leave you with tonight, a verse um, that I believe the Lord wants us to steep in over the course of the week, to, to pray through, to meditate on. Because again, as followers of Jesus, we're to find our story in the story of Jesus, in his story. And this verse is when Paul said, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Again, that's, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word life. Hold firmly, uh, in this verse, it can actually be translated two different ways. And I think these are, these are two cool visuals for us. Um, it can be translated to clench firmly, uh, as you might be picturing someone holding on strongly to something with, with clenched fists. Um, and then secondly, it can be translated to hold out, to hold out for. Um, I kind of like that second one better because it makes me picture uh, a steadfast group of Jesus followers who are resolute, who are battle-tested, who are coming through periods of suffering, but remaining stubborn for the gospel. Um, David Kinnaman, he's from the Barna Group. They conduct research on the kind of the intersection of faith and culture. Um, he wrote in a recent book, uh, this line that I think uh, just kind of comes full circle with what we're reading tonight. He, he wrote, the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. This resiliency for the gospel, I think, is what Paul is spurring his Philippians friends towards. Um, he's, he's encouraging them. He's giving them a pep talk for uh, this resiliency to hold on and to hold firmly to this word of life. And I love uh, the, the kind of the, the picture here, shining, shining like stars against uh, a dark backdrop. Um, rhetorical question, but have, have any of you had the chance to look up at the stars ever kind of without light pollution? Maybe you were 
totally off the grid. Maybe you were camping. Maybe you were up in the in the mountains. Maybe you were at Luke and Krista's backyard. I think there's less light there. It's it's beautiful. Um, but last weekend, uh, my wife and I we were up at my grandfather's cabin uh, near Fairplay. Actually, Zach and Sammy Porter were with us, and um, we were playing games. We kind of lost track of time, and it, it was about midnight. So we said, let's let's take a step outside to to look up at the night sky. And we were just hoping there was no uh, cloud coverage. And it's really interesting when you look up and you go through the process of your eyes adjusting to the light. I'm sure many of you have, have done this before. Um, but at first, you only see the brightest stars kind of standing out against the night, night sky. Uh, but then, as you continue to stare, more and more stars sort of begin to present themselves. And then after about five or ten minutes, you, you see more and more constellations. And then you see the Milky Way and maybe a shooting star. And the night sky kind of comes to life in front of your eyes. It's, it's almost overwhelming. You can't help but stare up at the wonder and the beauty at what's up there. And I think that this is what Paul is getting at here, that as we, followers of Jesus, hold out and hold on to this word of life, it's our resilient faith against the backdrop of the world that will begin to come into focus for those who are watching us and observing our lives. They won't be able to look away. They'll ask, why aren't you grumbling when there's five different crises going on in this country right now? Our humility will begin to be puzzling to them. The, the vibrancy of life in us in the spirit will stand out in a world that just needs it so desperately right now. And I think in this, those who are far from Jesus will be drawn to him as they begin to see his love come alive in us. So all of that said, I, I want to end tonight uh, with with a summary of, of just what we're holding on to or just what we're holding out for, uh, this word of life that Paul is talking about, this, this word of life that, that Paul's referring to here is the message about Jesus. It's, it's the gospel message. So I want to just break this down and, and, and leave you with this word of life so that we can hold on to it together over the course of the week. This word of life, this message that we hold on to goes like this that there is a creator God who created everything to be good, but because of humanity's attempt to overthrow God in a, a coup of pride, it, it led to a broken and a cracked creation. It's, it's now warped. It's, it's out of sync with the heartbeat of God. It's a distorted and a twisted vision of what God intended it to be. But God in Jesus chases after this world as, as God became human. He, he took on flesh as the suffering servant to do what humanity was supposed to do from the beginning. And Jesus, he lived and he breathed and he walked this earth as God incarnate to show us the way in his life and his teaching, in his miracles, in this new kingdom he established that's now cascaded down through the generations. And the pinnacle of it all came with the death and the resurrection of Christ to put justice back at the center of the universe, to tear apart our sin and make us right with God, and to put the fabric back together that God had intended as he came back to life three days later. And through this resurrection, Jesus defeated the kingdom of darkness, and he's ushered in an ongoing war against evil. And one day he will return once again as king to establish his kingdom. And when this happens, 
there will be no more suffering in the world. There will be no more hopelessness. There will be no more injustice. Racism will come to an end. God's people won't be fearful anymore because of the color of their skin. Pandemics will cease to exist. Sickness will be no, no more. We'll no longer deal with the reality of, of losing our jobs in an economic downturn. Loneliness will be eradicated. There will be no more death, no more thrashed relationships, no more tears, because Jesus will be the king, and we will inhabit his kingdom forever and ever. That is the word of life. That's, that's what we hold out for. That's what we clench on to. Because if we do, our story will be rooted in the story of Christ. This is why Paul here is giving a pep talk to his friends while he's in prison. This is why the Philippians are to hold on because the stakes are really high with that message. Even though they're suffering momentarily, the outworking of their salvation has the ability to change the course of history for anyone who believes. This is why Timothy and Epaphroditus and so many others before us have held on firmly to this word of life. In their stories, they've shined like stars, finding themselves in Christ's story. Hope Denver, I think this is the time for the church to shine like stars in a world that's filled with so much darkness, so much suffering, so much happening right now. Would we be a people, too, who, who work out our salvation day in and day out with one another so that our lives reflect the story of Jesus and we carry forward this word of life? And I know I can't hear you, but hopefully there's applause and cheers at this point. We're all we're pumped to go forward. Um, but as we come to a close, um, let's calm our, ourselves before the Lord and, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's not hard to find ourselves um, in, in what we read tonight, Lord, in, in the story of Paul and in the story of the Philippians who, who are going through hardship. There is so much hardship facing our world right now, so much so that it becomes overwhelming at times. But God, you have called us to hold on firmly to the word of life. And in that, you have given us examples for how to live so that we can find our stories cemented in you. It's my prayer, God, as we go into a new week, that as people look at us, they would see your grace. As people see us, they would see your love. As people see us, they would see your mercy, your joy, and a vibrancy that comes from your spirit. So that people can see us and connect the dots back to you. God, I pray over my friends and family who I can't see tonight. Would you bless them in that? Would you embolden them in that? And would you just fill them with hope and peace uh, going into another new week? Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen.